Welcome to Miked Up Sports, the show that gives people in sports an unfiltered platform to share their stories. If you want to help us tell more stories, check us out at patreon.com slash television, paypal.me slash television, or on Cash App at TSB Television. Thanks for joining us and enjoy the show. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to another on-location edition of Miked Up Sports, the show that goes in-depth with the people who build our sports community. And my guest is someone who is building up her credentials as she looks for a place to play college basketball. She recently finished up her season at Moberly Area Community College, and hopefully you will find her on a roster next season, Daria Douglas, who has a lot of connections here. Your story started here, and I know you've traveled since then and have played in some leagues, things like that, where you've gotten to see a lot, but thanks for coming by and taking some time to visit during your visit here. And what would you make of this journey so far? Because I remember you when when you were maybe half your size and I had a little more hair. And of course, since then, you've surpassed me in height, but that's just a number. I, you've also surpassed me in basketball talent as well, but I think most people can do that. But what would you make of this journey? You, you started here, and even though you've done some traveling since then, it feels like you still have uh, some connections in this old home of yours. Um, it's been actually a really wild ride, not going to lie. Um, you know, starting out here, um, you know, I grew up playing with Paige, Paige Beckers, KK Adams, and, you know, it was definitely a unique experience. Um, and, you know, after moving out, out east, um, I wasn't really expecting to ever, like, you know, play with them again or really run into them much, but, um, you know, life has a crazy way of looping back around, and so I got to play with KK again this year, and it was, it was really fun. And, um, you know, I'm back home, and... Uh, <laughs> It is, it's really funny how like, you know, I'll see a name pop up and I'm like, oh, I know them from Minnesota or, oh, I've played with them, played against them, like, you know. So yeah, it's been, it's been really interesting and it just been kind of like a continuous reminder of, you know, the basketball world is a very small world. Daria, there was a friend of mine who once said you can meet a lot of people through this thing called basketball and that's how I met you. In fact, uh, I still have recollections of meeting your mother for the first time all those years ago at State. I think it was 15 years ago. Sorry if I dated you. (laughs) Her mother is watching this for now and making sure everything is in one piece and not blowing up, but age is just a number anyway. (laughs) But... Why don't we start there? You talked about playing alongside Paige and KK, and of course, I remember covering Paige, KK, and those Hopkins teams from a few years ago. Maya Naji, Amaya Battle were a bit younger. Nunu Aguera, who's going to Stanford, were all making their way up. And then right in front of her, you had Lele Chikolas, who just finished up her undergrad studies at Hampton. Do you ever go back and think if you had stayed here? Obviously, there were a lot of factors, but you're do you ever think to yourself what might have been, or do you just move forward? How do you 
handle this journey that takes all these twists and turns and sometimes reconnects you with those old teammates of yours? Well, you know, I, I do sometimes think about, you know, if I had stayed, um, would my journey have been a lot more straightforward and maybe just, you know, I would have to have avoided maybe some of these twists and turns, but, um, you know, it just wasn't really the right fit for me. Um, being at Hopkins, it just, um, you know, obviously I had people that I liked there and, you know, I had friends and whatnot, but, you know, just it wasn't, you know, suited to what I needed at the time. And so, you know, moving away from that was necessary, um, especially if I was going to continue playing basketball, because there were definitely, that was one of the times at which that I considered not playing anymore. And in order to continue my love for the game and to continue my career and my journey, um, I had to move away from that. Um, so it was unfortunate, but a necessary step. Well, speaking of steps, every journey has that first step. I know you've hung around this game for a long time, and your mother has a strong background as well, winning a state championship, I believe, at Blake, and then being part of several championship teams at De La Salle, played at Wingate, if my memory is correct. So do you recall your first memory? What gave you that itch to play basketball? You know, it was really interesting because, you know, I grew up in basketball. My dad played, my mom played, my mom coached. So everybody just assumed that I was going to play. And little me did not really like that very much. And so I went around telling everybody, I hate basketball. I hate it so much. <laughs> it wasn't until, you know, around third grade that I started to change my tune when I actually got in the league with, you know, some other kids that, you know, also were playing and that were my age and I wasn't around high schoolers anymore, um, that I really found the love for the game. Um, and I do remember playing in that little league and just like flying up and down the court, like shooting, um, playing with other people. And it was just like, that was my little spark that I needed to start my whole basketball journey. You reminded me of some other guests who initially wanted nothing to do with the sport and then fell in love with it. What do you think changed your attitude toward the game? You mentioned in third grade, that's when you went from not wanting anything to do with basketball to embracing it 110%. Yeah, I think the key thing that changed was I, I just didn't really care anymore that everybody just like expected me to play like it started like easing up a little bit people stopped bugging me about it and so then I really like started to explore that and I was allowed an opportunity to explore that because I was in the gym so often I was in the gym you know with my mom because she was coaching so I'd be there for hours and hours with absolutely nothing else to do except pick up the basketball and so you know, as soon as I, you know, like when I was little, I would just mess around. But then I started really getting serious about it. I was like, you know, what if I actually like started like trying to do things with it? And that's when I, you know, asked my dad to teach me like a couple of drills and, you know, asked my mom about my form shot. And that was the progression that led up to me entering the league and completely falling in love with it. And as you were making your way up through this sport, who were your role models? And this can be anybody. You mentioned your parents, uh, 
giving you a lot of instruction. Of course, growing up with them, you hung around the game a lot. But whether it was them, college, pro, you name it, who are the people you idolized once you made that commitment to play basketball? You know, I, I watched um, some college, you know, at home. Um, Brittany Griner was one of the people that I really looked up to because she was so tall and like, yeah. And I was like, I remember telling my dad, I want to be as tall as Brittany Griner. <laughs> Even though I, do, I don't want that anymore. Like, I'm good at the height I'm at. I'm cool. But <laughs> no, um, she was definitely one of them. Um, Candace Parker, for sure. Um, you know, and another role model that was a lot more close to my life was um, Coach Johnson. Um, you know, coached at De La Salle, coached at North, because um, I was around her so much and she just knew the game so well. And I learned so much from her, just being around her, watching her practices, and even playing for her a little bit at Eden Prairie. So I think those are the people mostly that growing up, I really looked up to. And I'll just explain briefly that she's referring to Faith Johnson Patterson, but as I've talked about in our podcast in the past uh, with basketball players, no matter how old you get, you still refer to them as coach. Yeah, that no, seems to be... Do not call her by her first name. <laughs> Never. <laughs> that happened where I had a guest accidentally drop that, and it's like, oh, it's fine. I mean, I have a name too, but I get it. It's a sign of respect. Uh, Tisa Mitchell's a good friend of mine, and she still calls her by coach, even though she just turned 40 last year and is coaching herself. It's kind of funny how that works. But just wanted to throw that out there in case people are wondering, who's she talking about? <laughs> But I picked up a common thread. You took a liking to taller athletes, and I'm used to looking up. I covered the WNBA for 10 years, and I still cover high school games. I've done small college games, so I'm used to the idea that I'm going to meet and interview people who are taller than I am. But how did you handle that part of your identity? Because I imagine growing up, <laughs> I've seen it with my own eyes when you were, again, half my height or it seemed that way, and then it wasn't long before you matched everybody and then overtook me. But what was that like, being one of the taller figures in your class and I imagine on your teams? Even if you didn't get to be as tall as Brittany Griner, you're still up there. Yeah, yeah, I am. And honestly, it's something that, you know, I've kind of struggled with a lot. I don't really like, I never really liked being the tallest person. Like I'm the kind of person that doesn't really like to like stand out like that. And so being that tall, obviously I stick out like a sore thumb. And so, you know, when I was little, I didn't really mind that much. But as I got older, like into middle school, I started to really be self-conscious about it. And um, it's just been kind of like a, a little bit of a struggle with me, like, you know, um, just accepting that that's a part of me. And um, obviously being in basketball, it's, it feels better because most people are also like at least closer to my height, um, even though I'm usually still the tallest on my team. But um, yeah, it's been, it's been um, interesting having tall being a part of my identity because it, it isn't something that I've naturally loved. It's something I've had to learn to love, so. And I've asked that from my taller guests for that reason, because there might be younger viewers out there watching, especially female athletes, women athletes, but even male athletes, too, who might feel awkward, especially like when you said going through middle school and going through those growth spurts. And before you know it, you're sprouting over everybody. What helped you learn to appreciate that part of you? 
I um, just stopped caring. I, yeah. It was, That's one way to do it. It's just, I was like, you know what? If other people want to stare at me, because I did get a lot of stares, if they want to, you know, whisper to themselves, that's fine. You know what? I'm just going to hold my head high. I, you know, like I used to hate high heels. I refused to wear high heels, but there were so many cute shoes that were like high heels. And I'm like, you know what? They're cute. I like them. I'm going to wear them. Like, I'm not going to base what I want to do in my life around what other people want um, because that doesn't make me happy. And I, in order to do that, I had to let go of, you know, that inner voice in me that was like, but what if people think? So, yeah. That's a good way of looking at it. And I think you're right. People sometimes get self-conscious about that. And when you realize, I say this all the time, height, age, all of that, they're just numbers. And I certainly understand your position, though, when, again, you have that towering presence over everybody and I imagine finding apparel too that fits was that something you struggled with early on or was that something you were able to adapt to I went through pants so incredibly quickly like my mom would buy me a new pair of jeans in the fall and I would grow out of them by the spring like boom 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 I think um in one year uh, at one point in elementary school I grew four inches so it was it was a struggle, and then on top of that, I was super skinny. So it was like, it was so hard to find clothes that were both like tight enough to fit me and also long enough for me because all the things that were longer were for older kids who were usually a little bit bigger than I was. So it was, it was definitely a struggle. Um, I finally eventually found stores that I could like, you know, roll with. Like right now I always shop American Eagle jeans because they're the only ones that have extra long and like just stuff like that. So, you know, you work around it, but it, it does kind of suck that I have to go to the opposite, the absolute back of the shoe store to find shoes that'll fit me. <laughs> just from that experience now, what has helped you continue that confidence? You mentioned you stopped caring and what advice would you give based on the confidence that you attained for others who might be going through that phase of their own because I cover a lot of basketball still up here and so I get to see the next crop of seventh and eighth graders who are instant impact players and I'm thinking to myself have they hit their growth spurt yet <laughs> much taller can they get but what would you offer to anyone out there who might be in your situation whether they're in sixth seventh eighth grade or whenever right advice I would give is probably you know just find, like, it can be a little thing. It can be, like, the clothes you wear, just something that both makes you happy and makes you feel, like, physically pretty or handsome or, you know, just something that gives you that, hey, I look good today. And wear it with your head held high, and that will take your mind off of the tight and off of other things that you might not like about yourself. Like, just find one, like, I call them my little pieces of happiness. Like, just find one little piece of happiness, focus on that. And if somebody else has something to say about it, like, you can't worry about that. Like, you just have to tune it out and be like, okay, but it makes me happy. It makes me feel good. So just focus on that and it'll help. So how many pieces of happiness would you say you've acquired over the years? <laughs> 
a lot of different kinds, you know, sometimes it might be a person that you feel super comfortable with. Sometimes, I don't know, for me, it's like little seashells that I've picked up off a beach or, you know, just like a pretty sticker that I found, just like little things that, you know, just like that I like and that make me happy and that I feel like make my life a little more beautiful. So if I've learned anything from this, you apparently must have quite the seashell collection. <laughs> yeah, I do. I do. I could see it now when you get your own place, you might have your own little seashell museum. I might actually, yeah. <laughs> At least mementos. <laughs> Daria, I think we might have stumbled upon an a side hustle at the very least for you. Maybe. You know, I've thought about opening like a little craft store that's like for seashells and stuff. Yeah. You, know, you could start your own YouTube channel or a blog series just right. highlighting your seashell collection. <laughs> Forget basketball. I think you, seashell connoisseur, I think that should be your calling card there. Oh my, yeah. <laughs> a few minutes ago, you were talking about the steps you took in basketball and perhaps the biggest one is one that I regret only as a fan because I didn't get the chance to cover you in a game like I have with so many other players, Paige and KK and all the other members of the Hopkins program. But I don't hold any grudges uh, against you or your mom for that. It's like, oh, it would have been nice to call a block or a bucket. I'm sure it would have been a fun moment. But again, that's the fan in me. But it was still a big step moving from Minnesota to, I believe, the D.C. area where you played what was that like making that jump and what was the adaptation process like growing up in the minnesota youth programs and who knows what might have been but that's another story in another dimension what was the adaptation process like making that move and then having to get accustomed to a new league, a new group of teams, a new team of your own as well. How did you handle that? Well, I had moved around a little bit while I was here, so I was used to integrating into new teams, but the whole system of like basketball is very different in DC because at least in Minnesota, um, you know, the private schools are the teams that are not as good and the public schools are like the powerhouse teams. Um, and they have to obey like the, the state rules and everything. But out in DC, it's the complete opposite. So like the public schools are mostly just not that good and all the private schools, because there are so many private schools there, are like powerhouse teams. Like, you know, um, I just remember playing against, you know, Christ the King, New Hope, like St. John's who had AZ Fudd. Like, yeah, it was, <laughs> it was, it was tough. And their style of play was very different. Like, it's a lot more physical, it's a lot more, you know, fast-paced, a lot more, like, bumping shoulders, and so I had to adjust my game to that. Um, and so it was just, it was a very interesting transition, and, you know, on top of that, we just didn't know a lot of people out there, like, in the basketball world. And so we had to, you know, figure some stuff out, because um, my first year there, I went to a public school, and, you know, my team just really wasn't that good, but... Um, we played in a fall league, and um, AZ Fudd's parents just happened to be there, and they were watching our game. And after our game, they were like, hey, would you be, like, interested in playing for our AAU team? Like, you know, because, like, we would love to have you. 
which was just super God moment right there because we didn't know anybody. So there was no way for us to really feel out like who was good, where should we go? And so it was just nice to have that in so early in the year. Um, but yeah, it was, it, was a, it was a transition and it took some adjusting for sure. You talked about the private schools here, and my first thought is uh, I should show you Providence Academy, who won the championship with Madden Greenway now. Benilde St. Margaret's one in 3A. They've got a couple of D1s. Now, I don't know how they fare compared to the private schools in D.C., but it's like the private schools here, they've been tearing it up yeah. <laughs> over the last few years. So, yeah. And I don't mean that to dispute what you're saying, but it's uh, interesting. Perhaps you and I have different views or approaches on what constitutes a good team versus a great team and there are no wrong answers but I find that fascinating yeah yeah and um, it was more of like when I was growing up that was and I know like things have changed a lot here like they really have um, but when I was living here that was kind of like the mindset that most people had at least around me that I knew um, you know there were a few private schools that were like like super great private schools and then it was like Everybody else was just kind of like, okay. But that was just kind of like the thing for me that I really noticed because, um, and I think it was more that, you know, most people played at private schools in DC rather than most people play at public schools here. So it was just, you know, most people didn't abide by the state laws, like the state like rules for basketball. So everybody, you know, traveled everywhere. It didn't matter where you lived, like, it was a whole lot of um, like rules that you just didn't have to follow because it was private schools. Um, yeah, that was that was that was like where my mindset was at. So, yeah. And again, no wrong answers. It was just something I found fascinating, and it sounds like you've paid attention to some of the talent that Minnesota has put out since then. I guess you and I both have had brushes with some high-level athletes because. You spoke of being on the same AAU program as AZ FUD, while I have managed to now cover the offspring of two NFL alumni in Madden, of course, and Ari Peterson, who both play at Providence, and I'm going, this has got to be one of the more surreal things I've ever experienced in broadcasting. I've been doing this long enough that now I'm <laughs> connecting with all of these athletes from different backgrounds, which I think is cool, but... You mentioned not knowing a whole lot of people and who was good and who wasn't in D.C. I'm guessing you found out pretty quick how good AZ FUD was if you got to play alongside her. Oh, yes, yes. At the, at the time, my mom and I, we didn't know exactly who that was. They just said, you know, we're with this AAU team for Back Stars. Like, we would love if you came and, like, worked out with us, tried out. Like, you know, they just, it was, it was, a lot, it was an offer. And, yeah, so I ended up going there for my... Uh, second to last year of AAU um, and yeah I found out how good AZ was as soon as I saw her working out I was like oh okay hi <laughs> but I didn't actually I wasn't on the same team as her that year it wasn't until the following year that I was supposed to be on the same team as her but that was the year she tore her ACL so it was unfortunate I was excited to play with her but it just wasn't meant to be so you never know. If UConn comes calling, maybe you get to play alongside her again. <laughs> and I would like to think, conversely, she found out just how good you were as well. Again, I 
regret the fact that I wasn't able to see you play, and so I've seen highlights, but I'm guessing AZ probably would say the same about you. She might, yeah. I don't know, she wasn't really, we weren't really in the same gym often, and so, um, you know, because the year I was supposed to play with her, she just wasn't really there because she had appointments and whatnot, and so it was, you know, she might. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe she stumbles upon this interview and is like, hey, wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> I remember her. <laughs> yeah. Hey, AZ. <laughs> I'm hoping AZ and Paige get to play together for a season at UConn, but that's a whole nother conversation. It, it's difficult because they both have battled injuries, just, and you wonder if they could play together for a year, a full year, what might be. Someone was saying UConn, they're – Glory days are behind them, and I'm thinking, uh, not quite. Yeah, they, and KK Arnold's coming up. She from Germantown, so yeah, I'm like I'm not ready to write them off just yet. Uh, just because you're a top seed doesn't mean you're going to win all the time, as Giannis uh, pointed out a few days ago. But you mentioned some of the schools you played in those private leagues, and I've heard of them. Uh, some of them I've heard as well when I've covered national all-star games. So who did you play against that left an impression on you in terms of players we might know about from the college game? Well, I suppose college. They're probably not old enough to go pro yet, but who are some of the opponents you got to face? Wow. I know a little funny story. I didn't, we, we, we didn't play this team, but they were playing right next to us. Um, the team Angel Reese was on. Um, <laughs> and it was, it was interesting because we were playing St. John's at the time. And um, our game kept getting interrupted because there was a fight breaking out on their court. And it was so funny because afterwards, my teammates kept like talking to each other and they were like, Angel said this, Angel did that. I did not make that connection until my mom pointed it out to me like two months ago. She was like, yeah, that was Angel Reese. I was like, what? Angel was Angel Reese? Like, that was, that blew my mind. Um, but yeah, um, I also had a chance to play against Leah Boston. Um, during AAU, our team um, played against hers. It was an 8 a.m. game on a really bad court, but the coaches section was packed out. Like, there were so many big names there. So, like, I was walking up, like, who are we about to play? Like, because I didn't really know, like, the players on the team. And so I ended up guarding her, like, most of the game. And that was definitely helped me up my game in terms of defense like it was a challenge it was fun um but yeah that that was those are a couple of the big names that I heard about were near and also played against and um I don't remember the AAU team she was on though that's okay. I don't think anyone would hold it against you. And so I imagine when you've watched South Carolina games and saw Aaliyah do her thing down low, you're probably thinking to yourself, yeah, that looks about right, doesn't it? Yeah, it definitely does. Um, and I've honestly, you know, been watching her, been um, following her game, and I'm just like, you know, a little bit proud of the fact that, you know, like, I got to play against her. I got to, you know, like, test myself against her, like, that was that was a really cool experience and you know watching how she's like grown throughout her career like has been um fun and um yeah how tough was she to defend tough 
she was strong, big, and so, you know, there's no moving her. So you have to work around, work around, work around. And so um, I managed, I held my own, but you know, obviously she still scored. She still, I, I wanna say put up like 15, but um, yeah, it was, um, it was a challenge, but <laughs> my mom remembers a little more about the game than I do. <laughs> And she's understandable. You were playing in it, so right. you're, you're probably not thinking to yourself, "Oh, that's Aaliyah Boston." I should. Right. You're, you're focused on stopping her. Right. I was just focused on not letting her catch the ball, not letting her, you know, get a drop step on me, not letting her go middle, like you know, just stuff like that. Um, but I guess at one point she got frustrated because she was not. I was giving her trouble with you know getting where she wanted to be, and so she yelled at her teammates. She was like, "Give me the ball." I don't remember this, but my mom does. So I was like, oh, well, yeah. Makes me wonder, is there a video of this somewhere? Um, <laughs> I don't think so. There's there? We might. You might have some. Oh. Well, I've got to find footage anyway, because I don't have any footage myself of you playing. Right. So remind me, what school did you play for after you moved to DC? I know you started in public and then finished in private. Yeah, I started at George Mason High School, which I think is now called Meridian High School. Um, and I finished at National Christian Academy. Um, so that was like in Fort Worth, Maryland, like right by National Harbor. Fort Washington, I'm sorry. I know, I, I misspeak sometimes. Um, I've done that for years, Daria, it's fine. You, <laughs> you should go back, if you watch my games, I've had more than a few bloopers. Yeah. Where I've mixed names up or had other things happen. Yeah. So I think we'll let that slide. Okay. Um, but what was the recruiting process like for you? Because I know you went to another JUCO, if I'm correct, before Moberly. I did. And what was that like for you and what led you to try out the JUCO path? Because again, most of the stories that I heard from you came from your close sources and I wasn't able to see you play, but I would not doubt your skill set for a second, uh, but what was it like and what led you to go that route? Well, you know, I, you know, initially I didn't really know what I wanted to do in high school, like in terms of college. And so I was like, you know, um, just kind of floating and like, I don't really know what college I want to go to. And I had a, I had a couple offers. I was sitting on a couple offers, but I was just kind of like, eh. I don't know what I want to study, so I don't know where I want to go. And eventually I figured out that I wanted to pursue um, something called the Chinese flagship program. And um, unfortunately that is a very narrow set of schools. It's only 10 schools that are D1. Um, and so I, I settled on that and I feel good about that and I've been pursuing it ever since. And so it's not that I haven't had D1 offers. I have throughout high school and through the JUCO process, but they have not been the schools that have my program. And so it's just been a struggle trying to line them up. And I ended up taking the JUCO route because I tried a prep year, but because of COVID, it just didn't really work out. Um, <laughs> and so eventually I was just like, I didn't really have anywhere else to go or anything, anywhere else like to be. And so I finally opted to go JUCO and I wanted to do a one and done here, but 
I broke my hand my first, my freshman year, and then I caught COVID after only playing four games. And I was out for the rest of the season after that. So I didn't have a freshman year. So I ended up having to do another year. How tough was that to not only have an injury, and it happens to a lot of athletes, as you're well aware of, and then to get hit with COVID in its... I can't believe I'm saying it early years now. It's been like three years. Like, holy cow. I know. I'm glad we're past the worst of it. (laughs) Don't get me wrong, but it's like, man, time really has flown by. But how did you handle that obstacle? Because I know a lot of players who had to work through COVID infections and it looks like you managed to get past it and you're still in one piece, thankfully, but... I have to imagine in the moment that was really tough on you mentally and physically. Oh, it really was. Um, you know, and on top of that, you know, having COVID on top of a medical condition I already have um, was really difficult because um, it obviously it's a lung condition, and so um, it made it extremely difficult for me to breathe. So initially, I couldn't really tell that I had it. But we had just played in Arizona, and my mom had come to come see the game, so she was driving. Um, And I was going to help her drive. You know, she's going to drive me back to school, and I was going to help her drive that way so that she wouldn't have to drive all the way back home. And I was coughing the entire way back, which I just thought was because I had, like, you know, a little bit of junk in my chest or whatever, something minor. Um, But I coughed the whole way there. And by the time I got back to my dorm, I wasn't feeling well. And it, I was like, you know, I'll just get some sleep, I'll get some rest and see how I feel in the morning. And if it gets worse, then I'm gonna, you know, call my trainer and like, you know, see if I can get a COVID test because it's a problem at this point. And that was a whole nother story for another time because <laughs> she didn't want to test me for her own reasons. Um, and so eventually I just called my mom the next day and I was like, I don't know what to do, like, I can't breathe. Like, I was wheezing, like, I was like, <sighs> like, I couldn't breathe. And um, we tried looking around for CVS, but everything was booked out for weeks because that was like the Omicron surge. And so, yeah, and so like nowhere had testing except the hospital. Um, and since I was struggling so much to breathe, my mom's like, okay, well, we're gonna have to take you to the hospital because like, I don't want you to like, like stop breathing like um that would not be good no it really wouldn't i wouldn't be talking to you right now if if something like that happened and that would be really sad yeah yeah not to make light of your situation but i get what you're saying oh no i I make light of it all the time (laughs) (laughs) i joke about it all the time like yeah i could have died oh well (laughs) wow i could have died yeah (laughs) i appreciate your optimistic attitude (laughs) darling Well, I'm here now, and I'm over it, so. <laughs> Where were we? So I, I, hopefully, I, I hope you were able to get tested, but yeah. what happened, if you don't mind continuing that story? Yeah, so we got to the hospital, um, a little bit of confusion. They weren't going to take me at first because I didn't tell them that I couldn't breathe because I didn't realize that I, that was something I needed to express to them. Oh, yeah, you have to be real thorough with what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> So I went back in and then they sat me in the waiting room and I was at that hospital for six hours because there were so many people there. Like they had so many COVID patients, like they were super overwhelmed. 
Um, and so I was sitting there, you know, wheezing, coughing, and um, finally they gave me my test back and they were like, yeah, you have COVID. And basically at that point, um, my mom and I didn't really feel comfortable about me staying home for one thing because they don't have any doctors there that specialize in my medical condition. And both of us were concerned about how COVID was going to affect my body with that. And so the only choice was to go home to see my doctor. And so, you know, I, I explained that to my coach and, you know, he seemed fine with it when my mom and I talked to him, but, you know, on our way back, he expressed significant reservations about me leaving um, and tried to prevent me to leave, but I left anyway and I did not go back because I saw my doctor and um, it did adversely affect my body for a good two months after that, so. You've talked about this condition and that's something you wanted to discuss before we started taping and I don't think you've seen my prior podcast, but something that I've sought to do with this platform is give people a chance to share their stories in ways I couldn't at games. And I don't know how much it intertwined with your COVID infection. So what is it specifically? You've talked about this and I haven't heard of it. And so I don't know the terminology and how has that impacted you? And how would you say you have adapted to those circumstances? Because clearly you have as a basketball player, otherwise you wouldn't be continuing the sport. Right, right. Well, okay. So it's called POTS which stands for um, Postural Orthostatic Tachycardia Syndrome. Um, and it's a long name, so I just always call it POTS. Um, but I have a little thing that I always read to my teammates um, before I start a season, because obviously it's important for me to be upfront with them about that, because it does cause me to pass out, and that can be scary. Um, and so I'm just going to read it off here real quick. So I tell them what happens is my blood vessels are very flexible and they don't constrict right. So whenever I change position, blood pools in my hands and in my feet instead of going to my head. And this makes my brain think that I'm losing blood. So I experience all the symptoms of blood loss. Um, you know, I become lightheaded, I get nauseous, I can see black spots sometimes, I lose, feelings in, I lose feeling in my legs and sometimes my arms. I become disoriented and confused and can pass out. And I've been passing out more frequently recently. Um, not, you know, in games or anything, but, you know, sometimes in practice or, you know, just getting dizzy more easily than I used to. Um, temperature regulation, insomnia and migraines are other issues that I have often. Um, other things that also happen are memory loss, brain fog and lack of focus. Um, it sounds a lot worse than it is most of the time. Thanks to medication, um, I have milder symptoms. Though sometimes during exercise I have um, moments where I experience strong symptoms. Um, yeah, and so I just let everybody know that you don't have to panic if I pass out. I'll come back too and I'll be okay in like within a few minutes. Um, but yeah, it's been... That's been honestly my biggest basketball challenge. More than my school, more than anything else, that has been my biggest hindrance is my medical condition because it's scary to coaches um, and it 
prevents me from really being able to play to the best of my ability. Um, and so it's been a challenge both physically and mentally, you know, just knowing that I can do better, but nobody else can see that um, is, is really tough. Um, and then, you know, on top of that, you know, dealing with everyday in practice, like getting in shape is kind of like torture for me. Like it is very unpleasant. Like it makes me feel like super ill. Like, you know, like I sometimes like lose feeling in my legs all the time. Like it's like, like running me feels like wading through mud. Like, like I have like weights on my ankles. And so it's just, there are so many like little things that just make it a difficult process. Um, but obviously it hasn't stopped me from playing. And actually my doctors um, have strongly encouraged me to keep playing because exercise is what makes it better. Like the better shape I'm in, the better I feel on the day to day. Um, and obviously, you know, I have to do a whole lot of extra when I'm, you know, in my dorm room and stuff. Like I have to make sure that I eat. I have to make sure that I drink enough water. I have to make sure that I get enough sleep because otherwise it completely throws me out of whack and I feel well, like significantly worse. Um, and so, you know, sometimes with my college age teammates, they're like, hey, let's go out at like 1 a.m. And I'm like, I'm sorry, I can't, which kind of hurts me socially with my teammates because they just, it's hard for them to understand that, you know, like if I want to be functional for basketball, I have to go to sleep early. And which sucks because I, I liked my teammates this year, especially like I love them so much and I wanted to spend time with them, but a lot of the times I just couldn't. Um, so it's, it, it just presents problems on, on a lot of different aspects of my life. When did you find out about this condition and how do you think basketball, you talked about how it, it helps keep you in shape and doing that is mitigating the side effects or the symptoms of it, but when did you first find out about this condition and how has basketball helped you in this learning process as you Manage this POTS syndrome, is that correct? POTS, POTS syndrome? It's okay. Can you tell I'm not a medical expert? <laughs> <laughs> because no matter how long your basketball career goes, this is something that I presume you will be handling, working with, just managing for a long while, if not the rest of your life. Oh, no. I'm, I'm supposed to grow out of it between 22 to 25. Okay. So, and, and I ask these questions because I've never heard of this before, so right. I'm trying to understand it. So, it, it, still though, I guess, what have you learned through this process? And I have my fingers crossed you will grow out of it. <laughs> I, I'd like to think you're reaching that finish line, but whatever happens, you know, how do you think basketball has helped you come to terms with it? And what have you learned about yourself? I've learned, I've learned a lot about myself and I've had to relearn things about myself because, um, so I found out about this. Um, it actually started in eighth grade, but my mom and I didn't know what it was. Like something had gone wrong. Basically, I, I had a really bad sinus infection and you know, I went to the doctor, they gave me antibiotics and I just never got better. Like that's what started everything. I never fully recovered after that. 
Um, and so I went through like a whole year-long process of going to like different specialists and everybody kept telling me, oh no, you're fine. Even though I knew I wasn't okay. Like something was really wrong because like, I, like my legs felt heavy, like I was getting winded going up a flight of stairs even though I was in shape. Like it was, it was very bizarre. And finally we went to Mayo Clinic and they gave me the POTS diagnosis. And even they were just like, okay, just drink extra water and eat some salt. And you know, that did not help very much at all because I had very strong symptoms. Um, and uh, I think the biggest thing I've had to learn about myself throughout these years is managing my energy. Um, because I, I, I wake up with very little energy. Like I have so little energy to get through a day. I've had to learn how to allocate and like um, save energy to like, like throughout like a school day, I'll have like super low energy up until practice and then I'll expend like most of it. And then I'll go like right back into like battery save mode and just like be super, super chill because um, I only have so much energy to expend throughout the day and it has to go towards either school or basketball. Um, and that was, that was a big learning curve for me is figuring out how to manage that because a lot of the times I would just like kaput, like I would, you know, go about my normal day and then I would just collapse, like, um, and it really, really affected my schoolwork. And I've always been a very smart person. I've always prided myself on getting straight A's. And that first year that I had it, I was getting D's and failing, like, cause I kept getting sick and I had to keep staying home from school. And so I was missing school and I like the makeup work just kept piling up and like that was a super hard transition for me was figuring out how to manage school while not being able to focus, while not being able to remember things like I used to. Um, and that was, that was super difficult and I only just really learned how to do that in the past three years out of like the seven or eight that I've had this. So it's, it's been a lot to learn. Um, and basketball really helped with that because I found a new doctor that actually prescribed me medication and that like was a specialist in this area. And you know, my mom asked him like, was I wrong for pushing her to do sports? like through this, because there were so many days that I just did not feel well. And she was like, okay, well, just try to go to the gym and do stuff anyway. And they were like, no, 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 it's great that you did. If she like wasn't in shape, if she wasn't playing sports, she'd probably, you know, be in a wheelchair or like on a walker. Cause some people are like that, you know, that come into the clinic that I see. Um, and so that's been like a really like nice little like solidifier for me is that, you know, I can keep playing the sport I love and it helps me feel better. And I've noticed that difference. Like, um, <laughs> I was in season my junior year and then our coach after the season gave us two weeks off and I didn't do anything in those two weeks. And I was like laid out in bed for the next two months. Like I was not functional at all. Like I felt horrible, um, couldn't get out of bed. Like. It was so bad. Um, so basketball has really, you know, helped with my general health. 
and it's been a nice little, you know, like, it's something that I want to do that's also beneficial to my health. And so I think that was the biggest thing for me. And something you noted, and I hope you weren't being too hard on yourself while you were learning these mitigation tools and remedies only a three years ago when you've been dealing with this condition for years, especially, I don't know how common POTS is in the population, but you know when you deal with something, and I think we all go through this, whether it's aging or just something, when you deal with circumstances you haven't encountered before, I mean, there's no blueprint for it. You, you, you talked about the search trying to get a proper diagnosis, and that took a while, so I wouldn't be too hard on yourself in that sense, Daria, from what you've conveyed, no lack of ambition or dedication, commitment to basketball studies and the like, but I think sometimes we forget that when you deal with something unknown, you're just trying to go along as best you can and figure things out, and sometimes there is no playbook. You have to experience this trial and error process, and that sometimes is not a pretty one. It takes a while. Right. Right, and and it's been it's been really interesting because it hasn't been consistent. Like some symptoms will be worse some years than others. Um, like one year, like my legs would just completely fall out from under me. Like just came and then it went away. Like my legs don't really do that anymore. Like it just every year is different. Um, one year, it was especially bad with migraines. Um, and like I would have migraines for days and I, that doesn't happen anymore. So it's just like, you know, every year it's a different cycle and it's like relearning everything all over again. So it's been very difficult to manage. Um, and it really sucks because, um, a lot of people might not like believe me that I'm really sick because I look okay. I look healthy, I seem healthy, I'm here, I'm like alert, I'm talking to you. Um, <laughs> I think that would qualify as healthy. Well, talking to me, maybe that wasn't the smartest thing you did today, but I digress. <laughs> I, I know what you're saying though, and that's something that I've encountered. Even this past season, I met a player for the first time she just finished up her seventh grade year, but she was open about her OCD. And I think it really is fascinating, Daria, whether it's your condition, POTS, or mine, or all the players that I've met over the years. If you don't have something that isn't apparent right away, you run into people that might doubt or think you're fabricating something. And you spoke of the difficulties you had at times wanting to socialize with teammates. And you could, not because you didn't want to, but physically you knew this would push yourself beyond the boundaries, push yourself over the limit, and you didn't want to let them down on the basketball court, I imagine. So I get it. When you have something that people can't see right away, it's sometimes tough for them to materialize or comprehend just what exactly is going on. Right. Well, and I think, I think for coaches especially, the biggest thing is they're worried about me doing it mid-game. They're just... You know, like, um, uh, some are worried about my health. Some are worried about, you know, will I actually be able to produce on the floor? 
But the thing about that is, especially in-game, practice is where I really push myself. Practice is where I actually will probably pass out because I have to push myself to a certain point to be able to get in shape. Like the line between where I pass out is like right here and then where I get in shape is like right here. And so it's just that balancing and like pushing myself, pushing myself. But I won't do that in any game. Like I've always had a system with my coaches where I, I let you know like ahead of time, like when I start feeling things, I will let you know so that I like, we don't have a situation on the floor. Um, and most of them have been good about, you know, um, letting me do that and knowing my own body and having that interaction with them. Um, but it's interesting because sometimes my mom will tell people and they'll be like, I couldn't even tell because, you know, I do produce on the basketball court even with everything that I have going on. Like, I, I can still play. And that has been part of the reason I haven't really spoken about my medical condition until now is because I have been worried that call it, like it'll come with stigma. Like, oh, she's broken. Oh, she, like, she can't do things. Like, she can't go, but I can. I can go. And I always make sure to let my coaches know. Like, I will let you know if I can't. But until I say so, I can go. Like, I, I can push myself to a certain extent. Like, I'm, I'm capable. <laughs> and that was, that was my biggest reservation about sharing my medical condition. But at this point, I feel like it's better for people to be informed and for people to know. Um, because it, it does explain, like, some things like people will say, oh, she looks weak. Oh, she needs to hit the weight room. But I, I bench, I leg curl as much as my teammates do. Like, it's not that. It's my medical condition makes my limbs like feel like weak. And so it's like certain movements I do, certain things that I do. Like, it looks like I'm tripping because I can't feel my legs. Um, and I think the fact that I'm going to grow out of it is like huge for me. <laughs> and especially for playing basketball, I'm just like, you know, waiting for that moment where I grow out of it. And it's like, now I can show you what I can really do because I've like basically been playing with two arms behind my back. Like, so it's, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. And even if that wasn't a thing, I've met players who have your frame where it's, skinnier than maybe other players and everyone's thinking does he or she get in the weight room and it's like yes yeah, just some people built like have that, that build yeah. <laughs> i would not be one to underestimate you because i think you take me to school even with two hands tied behind your back <laughs> if i tried anything <laughs> foolish <laughs> uh, but you talked about waiting to grow out of it and again i don't know how long your basketball career will last uh, but you were able to have what it sounds like a great season at Moberly, getting to reconnect with K.K. Adams, one of your former youth teammates, and if nothing else, get a full season in that you didn't have a year ago. How therapeutic was that in this journey as you continue this path wherever it takes you? I think this was a really pivotal moment, like this whole season, because um, you know, I've always been kind of off and on. Do I really want to keep playing? Like, do I really want to do this? Like, and this year really solidified for me. I want to keep playing. I want to play the rest of college, like as far as it'll take me, you know? Um, I, I 
I don't really intend to play professionally at the moment. I don't know if that'll change, but, but for now, I want to keep playing. I want to play. And this year really helped me with that because I did love my teammates and they were competitive. They wanted it as much as I did, like a championship, they wanted it and they were good. We were a really good team. Um, I can say with confidence that nobody on our team was bad. Like, you know, you have that person on your team or a couple people on your team. We did not have that person. And it was just a really special thing to be a part of this year, um, to be in that team culture where everybody, like for the most part, like we all gelled, we got along and, you know, hung out together. And, you know, we were all in the same hall in the dorms. And so we'd be in and out of each other's rooms. And it was just a very welcoming and warm atmosphere. And I feel like that really helped me be like, yeah, this is, this is what I want to do for college. Like, there are a few things I do like to ask of all my guests on these podcasts, just to, as a way to have a little fun and maybe learn a few more things. But with everything you've experienced up to this point, both in playing basketball and encountering all of the steps you took that started here and then finished out in the D.C. area and then to Moberly most recently, with everything you've experienced in your basketball career, in your life, et cetera, what would you tell a younger version of yourself? Younger version of me. <laughs> no, because little me was so optimistic about, <laughs> was so optimistic about Don't tell high me school. you've lost all hope now, Daria. Oh no, I would just be like, okay, well, keep your expectations a little more realistic. Because <laughs> No, little me, you know, you're going to go through a lot of, a lot of rough, a lot of rough spots. Um, but, but there's a light at the end of the tunnel, especially with basketball, just stick with it because, you know, I know you want to quit right now. I know you don't really feel like having another bad experience, um, but there are good experiences ahead. Um, and I need you to keep that in mind so that you don't get too despondent and, you know, despaired. So, yeah. And most importantly, you haven't died. Yeah. <laughs> You're sure. still here. So I'm still here. Tell younger you, yep. whatever happens, you'll be fine. Yeah. You're alive. This You're is true. <laughs> this is true. I will not die from this at all. That would be a terrible way to go, so I'm glad that won't happen. Yeah, no, this isn't, this isn't going to kill me. Um, I mean, and COVID honestly, didn't either, thankfully. Right, and COVID didn't, and, you know, I take meds for it, but it's just to manage it. If I don't take my meds, it's not the end of the world. I just don't feel whole that great. Like, it just might limit your playing time, so I'm guessing okay. you'll stay on your medication. Because yeah. <laughs> you want to go out there and get those blocks that right. I've heard all so much about, or those... Layups, and I'm guessing you can hit a few threes, too. Yeah. How far is your range? Um, Three-point line. Three-point line, so um, yeah. not Caitlin Clark range yet. No, not quite. Working on that, though? We're getting there. <laughs> We're getting there. Well, hey, Candace Parker, all the four, stretch fours now that make threes, so like, yeah. if Parker can make them, I think you can mm -hmm. expand if you needed to. <laughs> but most importantly, nothing you have will kill you. Right. 
let's hope it stays that way for a while because uh, there's a few more stories I'd like to get out of you down the road <laughs> if we do another podcast. For sure. <laughs> and we encompass this a tad with your seashell collection, but what would you say is the most unusual thing about yourself that people wouldn't know about you if they met you for, for the first time? And I guess that is a weird question because we've talked about seashells and pots, but is there something else, a hobby or interest that people wouldn't know? And this, there are no wrong answers, but just kind of a fun way to remind my viewers and fellow players that you are more than your stat line and your record. Right, right. Um, it's kind of hard to pick because there are a lot of things. I'm a little bit of an oddball. Um. <laughs> I am too. That's why I chose basketball. You have to be a little bit nuts. Yeah, yeah, you do. Just, just a little weird, um, but... The fact that your mom and I are still friends 15 years later, that's an accomplishment in itself because I can't think of a bigger oddball than me. <laughs> yeah, no, honestly, um, the weirdest thing. Well, it doesn't have to be weird. Just something like, oh, we... It could be a hobby, interest, uh, just something that when people see you on the court, they're probably used to seeing you handle the low post, work the defense, get those blocks, all of those things. But again, you're so much more than that. That's why I asked the question. Right, right, right. What are they not used to that you can do? There's a lot. <laughs> um, so I honestly, I think one of my more recent hobbies that I've picked up is knitting. Yeah. I mean, obviously, if I'm looking at me, you would, you would not know that. Yeah. That's not something I really ask people either. Do you knit? Well, right. <laughs> I met another athlete recently who does the same thing, who does like quilts, things like that. And yeah. you may not look the part, but honestly, who would? Like, right. It's one of those things. I don't look at somebody and I didn't look at your mom or your younger brother, Jonah, and think they must be the knitting type. Right. Right. But, but yeah, no, that, that's a perfect answer. Knitting and seashells and, and you know what? You could knit seashell artwork. Oh my gosh. Okay. <laughs> that would, that would be interesting. Combine that's them both. Oh, oh my, that, that would be an interesting crossover for sure. But that is a perfectly acceptable answer. And like I said, there are no wrong answers to that question. So right. that would be a fun crossover. I think you should look into it when you're done with basketball, maybe, or when you're done with right. schooling. And throughout your basketball career, what would you say was the most exciting moment and your most embarrassing moment? Ooh, I can, most embarrassing I can think of right off the top of my head. So we were in practice. Well, after meeting me, because I'm guessing I'm top of the list, right? No, <laughs> no, you're not. I'm teasing. Not at all. <laughs> all right, so you're going with most embarrassing first. Right. Okay. I know that one off the top of my head. We were, it was, it was my junior year. We were in practice. And I, I don't know. I think I just like spaced, but I had the ball and I like just walked with it. Like I was like going up the middle of the paint and I just like made a really awkward like step, took like four steps, <laughs> chucked the ball up there, banged it off the backboard and then fell. <laughs> yeah, and I, I was, I, that was, I was on the ground laughing for a good minute after that because I think my brain just like malfunctioned at the moment and I just did the wrong steps in the wrong order and it was, yeah. But my most exciting, honestly, was um, this year. 
um, winning the region championship was the most exciting because, you know, all of us were like super hyped, you know, like going into the game, like we were super ready. Um, and we had just lost before to the team that we were about to play. And so we were, we were gunning for them because, you know, I was on the kind of team that doesn't want to go out like that. Um, and that's what I really loved about them. And so like everybody was super excited. Even the people who are usually like, you know, chill were so hype and it was just such a fun atmosphere and it was a solid win. And we were just like the whole night, it was just so exciting and so much fun. I could understand that sentiment, Daria. Nobody likes to lose. And so if you get a chance to get one back, uh, yeah, I could see how that would motivate you. And it, and sports, we learned again through the Giannis Antetokounmpo interview, and I mentioned this, just how sports creates that weird fandom or that weird vibe that if you don't finish number one, that somehow you failed. And uh, But at least you went out on a happy note, winning the region championship. I remember hearing about that from your mom, and it's like, oh, that's pretty cool. And and I saw just how much it matters. I covered the Region 13 D3 event in Anoka Ramsey, featuring players that probably aren't going to be household names. They're not going to make headlines, I would think, but they still want a place to play. And it doesn't matter where it is or what's at stake. Any chance you get to play is something you savor. Correct. Daria, as... You look forward, and I imagine we'll get an announcement from you whenever you decide on a school to play for, but where do you see yourself? You've found a way to adapt and perhaps overcome whatever word you like to use, this POTS condition. You found a way to prevent it from controlling you in terms of your life and your basketball story, and you talked about the academic program that you have taken up. So where do you see yourself, whether or not you play professionally? Uh, what role do you see yourself taking up in terms of advocacy for what you've dealt with, both with your condition, all the other things you've experienced in basketball, and even through the education? Because something that I've learned between you and your mother over these years, uh, uh, you look out for others. You two have a dedicated compassion about you? Mm -hmm. Honestly, um, so part, part, a big part of the reason that I want to choose this program is because I have background in Chinese and so I'm hoping to go into business with my Chinese, which will hopefully make me a lot of money. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Right. <laughs> Who doesn't like to make a few more bucks? You know, so um, hopefully I will have be well off enough after college um, right now the plan is after basketball um, to fund research for my medical condition. Um, you know, presumably after I grow out of it and stuff, I, I want to help other people because even though, you know, my case is on the spectrum, you know, a little more severe, there are people who are, you know, like I said, in wheelchairs, on walkers, who like can't get, like literally cannot get out of bed without passing out. And, um, you know, I feel that. And I want to help people because, you know, I know what it's like to go through that. Um, and so, yeah, I would definitely put money into funding research for that, you know. And, and this is part of that step to, you know, talk about it, especially in sports. Like, if you have my condition and play sports, 
it's incredibly challenging. Um, and so I just wanted to put it out there because so many people don't know about it and don't understand. And um, I just wanna be able to be that voice for people and be like, hey, this is what it is. Like, you know, for all the people who have it, like, I understand what you're going through. Like, you know, that kind of feel, so. And if I may pontificate, going back to our conversations about things, like you said, no matter how challenging it is, it won't be fatal. And something I've learned through my experience and, again, covering athletes who maybe have conditions that can hamper their daily lives, sometimes I feel as a society, especially parents, and not a fault on them because you know, parents, good parents always are looking out for their kids and making sure whatever happens that they don't have to deal with something alone, but going back to even the apprehension you had about a stigma, I think sometimes when you hear these conditions or disabilities, et cetera, everyone, or not everyone, but some people take it as a death sentence, if you know what I mean, and they yeah. feel like the world is going to forever change and yeah. they won't be able to do the things that I was accustomed to and I sense going off what you said, advocacy certainly helps. And I feel like you did, you had your infographic ready with POTS and what it does. I feel like if people took a moment to maybe either look things up or even just ask questions, engage in conversations, I think they'd realize, well, yeah, you and I might be oddballs. I know when I was growing up, with my condition, I, you might know of it. Yeah. You do. Okay. And I think my viewers have as well. I've talked about it from time to time. Mm -hmm. There might be moments where it seems silly or weird, but at the same time, what is normal? Someone, someone said normal is a sitting on a washer and dryer. If you can find a way to make it work, and I had a friend of mine who has a couple of sons on the autism spectrum as well and I just said whatever happens if you spot an interest of theirs go for it because that is going to be the ticket not to get out of it but to help them come to terms with who they are and it sounds like basketball even before you had this POTS condition basketball did the same for you and not just physically but it gave you something I think to remind folks yeah I might have this thing but I can still go out and get a block or two right well, and that's the thing, um, you know, it, it's, it's interesting to hear people talk, oh, well, you know, don't let your disability stop you. I'm like, but it, it does stop me in certain areas in my life. I can still do things, I can still go, but it is a hindrance and it is something I have to work around. Um, and so, you know, no amount of positive thinking is going to fix that. Um, but at the same time, you know, you just, day by day, you just gotta drag yourself out of bed and take your meds and get through it. So, yeah. Right, and like you said, positive thinking, it certainly helps, but it's not the catch-all formula. But I think the point I was trying to make is that whatever happens, you know, maybe it inhibits you, but that doesn't define you. Right. Like I said, I learned more about your seashell collection and your knitting interest, and I don't think your POTS has anything to do with that. It, wouldn't stop you from doing that at all. So I think, again, 
going back to the fear you had for a long time, I certainly understand it because when you have something that makes you seem abnormal when you're not, it's like, you know what? It's all right. You're going out there, you're making the most of it, and it's not my job to care about <laughs> what you have or not your job to care about what I think, going back to what you said earlier. so Right. Right. I think, yeah, I, I think, though, what you did, it, it's a bold step. It certainly takes some courage to put yourself out there and make that piece of information public the way you did. But I think you're also an example, Daria, that whatever happens, you'll find a way to make it work. Yeah, for sure. For sure. It's, um, it's something I deal with. It is not me. It's an obstacle in my life. It is not a part of me. So it's, it's, it's just, you know, you work around it. Um, and for anybody who has this condition, it, it's not a part of you. It's something you deal with. Um, it doesn't have to define you. It doesn't, you know, have to completely take over your life. Um, if you can just find your little pieces of happiness, um, it'll help you get through it. Well, I look forward to future pieces of happiness you will add to your growing collection, Daria. And perhaps when you find a school to play for, or maybe a year from now, two years from now, when you finish out your college career, we could go back. I certainly would love to uh, do this with you again because I learned a lot about you, and I'm sure... <laughs> There's a touch of surrealism here. I don't know if you remember our first meeting, but here we are all these years later, and now we're having this conversation. But I'm glad you took the time to share this part of yourself, Daria. And whatever happens, I would hope that some of my viewers came away with more information and, if nothing else, learned that you might have something that could limit how hard you can go in practices and in games, but it does not limit your passion, your interest, your love of the game. Right. And I can't wait to find out what school you eventually sign up for. Me too. <laughs> well, Daria, I'm glad we had this conversation. Thanks for stopping by. And I won't complain if you choose Minnesota because that is my alma mater. And then I'd be able to watch you play in games again. Maybe even call a game if I'm lucky enough to get on the BTN crew someday, but wherever you go, I'll be among the first to cheer for you. Okay. <laughs> I'd love to have you there. Daria Douglas, who finished up her season at Moberly, will find out where she plays in due time. And if there's a story you'd like to share, whether it involves seashells or conditions, whatever you have, we're happy to share it. If you'd like to inform us and enrich us with your experience, just hit us up on social media at the Mike Peden. If you've got a story, we're happy to share it. So until next time, thanks for watching. If you'd like to support TSB television programming, check us out on Patreon, PayPal, or Cash App. And thanks for watching Mike'd Up Sports.